podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into these surprise questions today, I have, I have some articles, some more about less articles. Um, I don't know which one to start with, but maybe... This one has a really... This is a very provocative cover right here, man. Let's start with that one. I like... So, so it's a satirical article from The New Yorker. So we're talking about insecurity today, right? And... This one is uh, it's called To Recover Your Lost Password, Simply Answer These Insecurity <laughs> Questions. <laughs> and like there, I think about it and like there are a lot of things that we do in our everyday lives that stimulate our insecurities, right? Mm. And, and there are these sort of questions we ask ourselves. I think we don't even understand it. So here are some of the insecurity questions to verify your identity. What was the name of your first love's first love? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Or, I mean, if you, you could look at that now. Like, what's the name of your spouse's first love? And it's or your like, spouse's first spouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Or when is the first time that your wife had sex? And it's like... <laughs> Okay, now, in, in, yeah. we shouldn't be insecure about these things. In fact, we should... Oh, what? You have a, a past that, d- that didn't... <laughs> right. that you existed before I was in past. your life? Right. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> it, but, but we don't we, like, in this weird way, we have, we have insecurities about these things that are completely uncontrollable. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, you wouldn't want it to be the other way. Like, with Mariah, you wouldn't want to be like... Well, I want. I was really hoping that I would be the first person you ever did in your life. When I met you, and you were almost thirty. Right. Right. No. You, at that point, you'd be like, "Okay, well, why haven't you dated anyone up until thirty? <laughs> right. What is wrong with you? It wouldn't be a deal breaker, but you would right. be like, "Hey, well, let's let's at least talk about this. Let's try to sure. figure it out." What are, else we got? Are you as successful as your parents thought you'd be <laughs> when you were a kid? <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy, man. You know, it's like we just we have this desire to be accepted. I mean, I was going to say love, and I, I think like there's probably something there, but it's this acceptance of, like, am I a good uh, spouse, or am I a good partner, or am I better than my partner's first partner, or yes, am I living up to my parents' expectations? Do they accept me? Now, Griffin, what I about mean, my, mine don't well, accept me, but... Well, actually, yeah, one of them accepts you most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, but the other one, your dad, it would accept you. Uh, you're not as successful. I'm going to circle this word here. Yeah. You're not as successful as how how he, but his definition of success would be you have to have the same exact beliefs as him. Right. That is success. And someone else's uh, definition of success, and this is, Griffin, this is really, you and I were having a really good conversation, I think it was the day after the, after the Grammys. Mm -hmm. And uh, you okay with talking about this? Sure. How many did you win? My my friend who I've made music with since I moved to Nashville, one of my, my best friends, uh, was a co-producer on the Casey Musgraves record, and he oh. I watched him win two Grammys on television, and it was just Whoa, crazy, mind-blowing. Awesome. And I, when you were reading that thing, we, we're working on a documentary right now that touches on all these subjects in regards to um, my career as a musician. And when we were filming the documentary, we were in my mom's house in Springfield, Ohio, and um, Shane followed me into the bedroom in the and I picked up this box that I kept things in and one was a little card from my mom and she was talking about how she was like looking, she watched an interview with Bono on TV or something and she said that she quote unquote saw some like greatness in his eyes and that she saw the same in mine talk about parents' expectations. So it's like, of course I'm a total failure. I set the bar at you too, you know? It's like, and and that was, it's in one way it's this huge compliment because your mother is saying, I see you and believe in you and think that you're great. Mm -hmm. And also, if you don't subconsciously reach this level, you haven't quite made it yet. Mm. And the problem with that is there's always some other level as well. For Bono, there is, you know, there's some... Uh, upper stratosphere you know he's like well you know barack obama was more f- uh famous than me or whatever and it's like <laughs> okay like, it, it never stops and right. I, I think when th- that's the thing that is frustrating about this is we define success almost always by someone else's template for success mm-hmm. or we see someone that we think is success and we project that onto them as sort of this mirror as as though i need to be you know bono or 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 whomever and and even if you achieve that that doesn't necessarily mean well the whole award thing is is frustrating to me because i think awards for art are kind of gross because 
Well, it's uh, the Drake thing. You and I. So this other article that I have here. Yeah. Uh, that night at the Grammys. Well, I'll, ju- I'll just read this. This is from the People magazine. This is a quote from what Drake said that night when he won an award. Uh, the title of this is Drake disses the Grammys as he picks up the award for best rap song. Um, I don't think he was really dissing no. them. I, 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 so I don't agree with pe- people's title here, but I agree with his sentiment. Drake snagged the best rap song accolade at the 2019 Grammys, and he has something. And he has something to say. Alongside his message of gratitude came one of inspiration to those viewers who, like he once was, are children with dreams of working in the music business, as well as those musical artists who are already successful because of their contributions with or without a Grammy. Quote, I wanted to take this opportunity while I was up here to just talk to all the kids who are watching this, who are aspiring to do music, all my peers who make music from the heart, that that do things pure and tell the truth. I want you to know that we play in an opinion-based sport. And then for a second, that's why I say that Mm. it's gross to, uh, it's, it's not like the NBA championship that he's about to talk about. It's it's not like, well, you won the soccer game two to zero, right? right. Um, you played golf in college, and there is something definitive about that. There is a score on the scoreboard. With music, I mean, okay, there's billboard charts or whatever, and that's one score on one scoreboard. But then the, this these awards have nothing to do with it. It's a, it's a it's a few sort of nameless, faceless people who have achieved some sort of status within a, the music industry, the business of music, who are now deciding who is worthy of their praise in a way. And he goes on to say. Um, I want you to know we play in an opinion-based sport, not a factual-based sport. This is not the NBA where at the end of the year you're holding a trophy because you made the right decisions or won the games. You've already won if you have people who are singing your songs word for word, if you're a hero in your hometown, if there are people who have regular jobs who are coming out in the rain and the snow, spending their hard-earned money to buy tickets to come to your shows, you don't need this right here. That's what he said <laughs> as he was holding up the award. So and right good. as he said that, he said, but, and they cut him off. Uh, yeah. The, and they made an excuse after the fact, like, uh, but basically... Oh, the, mic, the, the electric went out or yes, something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it, the, it, this is the industry protecting itself. Wow. And the thing that, that Griffin said was like, you know, it's hard to not feel like a failure when I see friends who have won an award tonight. And and I, I wrote down my response that I, I sent to him. I said, your friend already won. Uh, he, he won... Your friend who won the Grammys won in real life way before some invisible faceless committee named him or certified right. him a winner, yeah, right? Sure. And and I think that's you. You talked about the validation. What was the word you used? Uh, acceptance. Acceptance. Yeah. Significance is is something else. <laughs> and when we're always seeking that validation externally then we're always going to need more of it because it's so yeah. rapacious that, that it, it just eats us up. So, Griffin, when, when, you, when you saw that, you felt both... And it was, had to be this sort of double bind for you because you felt like a, a positive emotion. Right. But then you also felt like, wow, why wasn't that me? For sure. Uh, I think it's always this dance in between those two worlds where some moments I feel completely clear and grateful about doing exactly what Drake's talking about in that and having people come sing my songs and show up in the rain and spend their hard-earned cash is that when I'm defining success that way I feel really healthy and balanced but there's always another voice that comes in and says hey wait a second I'm passing the Hollywood Bowl you know when I started out I really thought that by the time I was 15 years in I would be playing there too and you know what that might not ever happen and then the wheels just start going and you start thinking well what what did I do wrong or what, Mm. you know, and it's easy to, to do that, but I don't have any answers other than the fact that I'm right in the middle of trying to redefine what success means. And I know that it's an important thing probably for all of us to do and figure out what's valuable to us and what we're trying to do. I I feel so valuable every night when I sing about my grandfather, for instance, because I feel like I'm honoring my family. I'm singing about World War II and and a good cause and I love that guy so much and keeping his memory alive every night is something that I feel so much gratitude for on stage and it's things like that I guess that I when I focus on those it feels 
much more successful in a gratifying way rather than I need to play the Hollywood Bowl and win a trophy, you know? Yeah. Well, it feels more meaningful than the Hollywood Bowl yeah. as well. It's something that Ryan will talk about with, with mentoring clients sometimes is what is your outcome, but then also why is your outcome? Mm-hmm. And, and okay, f- at some point, the what was the Hollywood Bowl, but we don't ever ask ourselves why. That's mm-hmm. Why do I want that? Because Ryan and I, we, we stumbled into doing you know, these tours and stuff, and it started with two people showing up, and then eight people would show up, yeah. and then 20 people would show up. And and then we did um, the, what's the theater in Boston we did the Wilbur oh yeah the Wilbur and so yeah it holds whatever twelve hundred people or something yeah. and and this this place is like it's it's great I never thought I'd speak in front of that many people but then I see like Chris D'Elia and he sells it out five nights in a row and yeah. I'm like. Why can't we sell it out five nights in a row? Right. <laughs> but then why? Why is that? My, is that why I started doing this? So I could sell it to Wilbur five nights in a, a row? What a weird goal that is, right? Yeah. Whereas, no, I, I I wanted to get out there and some of my best memories, and I, I'm sure this is similar for you, Griffin. Some of my best memories are us talking to small crowds that are less than 100 people mm-hmm. uh, and you playing you know, rooms or whatever. But you also it's weird that you feel that sense of failure when I think most people, especially aspiring musicians, look at you and say, wow, you've made a career out of music? Yeah. Talk about a hometown hero. Yeah, like every care time- less about the Grammy. They're just like, man, if I could just make money off of my music, that'd be awesome. Or, or even <clears throat> they look at the Grammy and they're like, why would I want a Grammy? I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And every time I see him in Springfield, it's like a thousand people show yeah. up, two thousand people. I mean, it's ama- every summer you play this this concert there, and and you talk about like uh, really winning. When I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that 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 to me is is winning. And it's not because a thousand people are there, but it's because look what I got to do with my life. I got to make music i got to write songs Mm -hmm. record them and then play them for people who know the words to those songs and by the way it's starting to rain and they're still singing (laughs) the songs it's an interesting thing to talk about because i don't know that it's i don't know that this is an avenue that's been gone down a lot before where somebody who's making a career out of trying to project themselves as successful and as desirable is being really open about how insecure they feel and that mm. when we were making this movie that we're, we're working on I always felt conflicted because it's like wait am I working against myself if I kind of talk about this because it, it's almost like you feel like you're devaluing yourself instead of walking around being like yeah man I'm a hometown hero you know <laughs> right. like it's just the, there's this whole idea of image projection and you think about that even in regards to the entertainment industry or the Grammys if they're not selling some image that's what that's what they're in the business of doing is selling an illusion to make it look way more attractive than real life is and i have made peace somehow i don't even know if i did it intentionally i just decided at some point that it's in my best interest to just be the same person on stage as i am off and it works better for me to just kind of be who i am and not try to present something more or bigger than i actually am and i don't know why maybe i just can't do it but it's that's what that's how I try to operate in the world. Well, people really resonate with failures. When, when Ryan and I, you know, we wrote everything that remains, or in any of our books, it often starts with you know, it's sort of the hero's journey. It's the rise, the fall, the rise, right? Like we we grew up just incredibly poor, food stamps, government assistance, and thought the way out of that was money. So we we had the rise. We made good money. Yeah but didn't live a meaningful life in, in, in the process. It was sacrificed sort of everything that wasn't money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, of course, suffered, whether it was addiction to consumption, addiction to success, addiction to drugs or alcohol, whether it's going through the uh, death or a divorce. These are things that resonate with people. And so, no, you don't want to, uh, if you're making a film, the worst thing you could do is just uh, make it a, uh, a PSA to how successful <laughs> yeah. Griffin I started was. winning and then I just kept winning and I never stopped winning and I'm still winning today. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing a shirt that says winner. Right. <laughs> like that, that, uh, that, people look at that and they're like, they think you too, right? Mm. But of course, when you really get down, when you get below the surface, there's all of that with, with Bono or, or whomever. It, it is, there's a series of failures that lead to this overall 
success that yeah. that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to fail. Like you've got to learn a lot of lessons, and you know I, there are some lessons we've learned the hard way. Like when we were on tour in 2014, and you know we booked a room that fit 80 people, and 500 people showed up. And I mean, I wish we would have learned that lesson differently. But still, it's not like we did that. And we're like, oh man, like this tour's going crappy. It's like no, this this tour's going great. 500 people showed up. Let's figure you know figure out a way to make this work. I think Josh, the way that you and I get through it, man, is Josh and I, we talk a lot about having really, really low expectations, but having very, very high standards. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, like the best recipe for personal success or how I feel about my own success. So, you know, I think about these lists, like the New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I, yeah, dude, I would love to be on the New York Times bestselling list and put that feather in my cap. But yeah, what does that actually get us if we were on the New York Times bestseller list? Right. I mean, maybe more recognition, maybe a little bit more money, but you and I, like, we are after adding value to people's lives, giving them a little bit of hope, helping people turn, you know, th- that big ship around where, with whatever they're facing in their life. And it's like, we don't have to be on the New York Times bestseller to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the same is true with, with music. And now you, th- there's this interesting and beautiful sort of paradigm of independent music for the longest Mm. period of time it was really hard to be an independent artist you needed the sort of machine of a record company Mm. because without those resources you couldn't afford to record in a studio you have to have the reel-to-reel or you know the the adats and all this other stuff that you recorded in the big studios but now uh, somewhere around the turn of the 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 century um the new millennium you you had people like well even like david gray recorded his most popular album a lot of it in his bedroom yeah. and you started realizing like oh i can do a lot of this on my own and i don't necessarily need i don't need the million fans it's what kevin kelly do you, do you know about kevin kelly's thousand true fans i've heard about that yeah, yeah. so so he it's a, it's a blog post <laughs> i'll put a link to it in in the show notes here but he um he, he writes about, as a, an artist, and the numbers are, itself is arbitrary because you could be like a painter and have 12 true fans and make a living from right. that, right? Mm-hmm. But as a musician, you can have you know just a few thousand diehard fans and they make up 80% of, of <clears throat> what of why you do what you do. And of course, there'll be new acquisition and new people will find your songs in different ways, but it's more disparate than it ever was. Before, you needed the, the record company to set out there and say, well, here's your here's your publishing deal, and and here is your um, here's your marketing budget, and and here's your PR person. But now it's like, well, no, I I I have my own destiny in in my hands. That's scarier in some ways, right? Yeah. Because then you if you fail before, you could blame it on ah, oh, it was the record company that didn't really push the album. Now if I failed, that was me. I didn't really push the album. It's also really new territory. Like no one really knows what's going on because the music business was a certain way for so long and then it's changed so quickly year to year. Or like at first it's record stores stop um, being open and then it's like everybody's doing an iTunes download and then people aren't downloading anymore. They're streaming and just one thing after another is changing and it's uh, it's hard to keep up. So it's a, it's a really interesting world in yeah. the music business. but. That's it's kind of exciting too, though, right? It I is. mean, like you kind of get a, I guess you know, pave your own way in a certain in a certain aspect. I just know, I mean, there are certain rules to life of uh, that we go through every single day. Like, you know, when we're driving down the road and there's an oncoming car in the other lane, like we can be ninety nine point nine 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 percent certain that that car isn't just going to like veer off and hit us head on, right? Right. And there are certain rules of life that um, I feel like uh, kind of had that same setup, meaning. Like if you're putting out some meaningful creations, if you're being yourself and you're being consistent, like that's kind of key too. like, you got to be consistent. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing those things, like you will reach a level of success. You know, will you make the New York Times bestseller? Yeah, I'm not promising that. Are you going to win Grammys? Not promising that. But if you are consistent and, and put out some good work, like you will, you will have a certain level of success for sure. And when you say being yourself, I think you mean... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Sort of being the best version of yourself. Yes, absolutely. Not the perfect version of yourself. Right. Because right? that'll the, never happen. Not the most idealized. Well, the perfect uh, Josh or the perfect Ryan or the perfect Griffin would have would do this. Mm. No, I'm not going to be that. But 
but I am going to be the best version of that. And if you continue to act upon that, and the best version continues to, to get better. We have a few, uh, few questions here, some surprise questions. Let's see what podcast Sean has uh, queued up for us here. Uh, let's hear from Nav in India. Nav says, how can I grow as a creative? How can I overcome the fear of being stuck in a box and creating the same content over and over and over? Mm-hmm. I assume musicians might worry about this more than anyone. Maybe writers too. Uh, although some writers really lean into it and, and sometimes that's okay. I, mean, I think of two people who really stand out to me. Um, one is, is well, he's, a, he's a, a radio host, is Dave Ramsey. We, we did his show last time we were in Nashville. And he basically does the same thing over and over and over. He answers people's questions about money, but he does so masterfully. So I guess the first question I would ask is, what's wrong with doing the same thing over and over? Yeah. And, and that's something we have to think about. Now, as a creative person, I know that for me, I'm like, well, I wrote this book. I don't want to rewrite that book over and over. And I'm sure when you're doing albums, you're not like, well... No, I don't want to keep doing Lost and Found over and over and over, flying upside down because the people really like you know the, this particular song. Like, well, I already did that. If I I don't want I don't need to do part two of that necessarily. <clears throat> so so as you're creating, how do you? Because Griffin, I think you've done a really good job of evolving over time. Where it's it's not the Dylan thing where it's like, well, today I'm now electric and, and I've changed everything. Like imagine if Griffin came in here and he's like, well, I'm doing jazz now. <laughs> You'd be like, he had a saxophone congrats. instead of his guitar with him. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I would say congratulations to you if that's really what you want to do. But you have, you, your music has evolved. Each album has evolved. And I don't know if that's because you as a person have grown or, or your music's yeah, changed. Yeah, I think that's back to what we were talking about before and just be, kind of being the same person in life as... I am an, as a musician the thing that goes hand in hand with that is that as I grow as a person then my music subject matter changes as well and yeah I mean I've been married for almost 10 years and I have two kids so I'm not writing all the breakup songs that were on Lost and Found anymore I'm not really singing about romance in that way I may be singing about that from the angle of this is what it's like to be married and still have these feelings as a human being but it's a totally different angle and you know like I I took on uh, the journey of getting sober years ago and so writing about those life changes and new things that I'm running into most of my writing has always just been about what's going on in my environment with me what I'm feeling in life and so if I'm changing then my work is changing as well yeah, yeah it's, naturally I mean I guess I would ask Nav like what are you drawn towards <clears throat> and why are you drawn towards that so if she's drawn to doing the same thing or he I don't know if it's Nav is that he, he if, if he's drawn towards the same thing is it because he's doing it for his fans? Because his fans are like, oh yeah, I like this one piece of art that you did or this one creation that you did. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the one creation people like. I gotta, I have to replicate I have to replicate that and do it over and over again. That's that's not the right reason, I think, to, to create. It's more or less going with what you're drawn towards. Like, like Griffin just described, it's, you know, what are you feeling at the time? And work from that. Don't work from what are pe- people telling me that's good. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that sometimes when we... <laughs> When we're creating, we don't know who we're creating for. Mm. We had Andrew Schultz on on the show, and he was talking about creating. He creates mostly for himself, and I, I well, I agree with that. I also agree that well, I don't picture the exact listener who's listening to this right now, or the reader who's reading. Like I'm not, I'm not creating for a specific demographic. I think that exercise is futile. But I do hope that it resonates with at least someone. That someone gets value from it. And of course, it's reaffirming when you see someone singing your songs. Or um, I was on an airplane a while ago, and like the woman in front of me was reading one of our books, and it's like, wow, that's it's it's really neat because <laughs> you didn't go up and knock it out of her hand like we don't want you reading our book. <laughs> I was like, hey, that book any good? <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're like slicking back your hair, <laughs> Just standing in the pose on the book. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, I I I think that. Um, I think it's okay to evolve, and I, what Griffin said really stood out to. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, that, that, that'll spill. That's it, all right. It gets oh, every it's, single it, guest. It's yeah. tricky. Yeah, it is all tricky. Right. We're <laughs> setting you up. Thanks, um, guys. No worries. I, I think I think what Griffin said about like as I'm changing, my music changes. I think it would actually be messed up if you changed yourself, but then your music stayed the same. Yeah. That would that would I think it would come out and it would sound disingenuous right oh, yeah because it, 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 it wouldn't actually be you anymore it'd be yeah. this formal uh, former view, version of of yourself it'd be an affectation in a way that happens to me a lot i'll pick up the song uh, uh guitar and my default some writer thing in me will start singing about some 
subconscious lines about you know breakup song or something and i'll just go that, that's not going on and like change directions like you know it's i almost have to to, to override the, mm. the instinct because a lot of the writing is just from on the subconscious level so dude yeah, i'm trying to figure out a way to squeeze in the story that you were talking about before we started recording this mm-hmm. and i think we can squeeze it in here meaning uh you had a song requested that was one of your older songs popular songs but you were like i haven't played this song in years but right i'll give it a try this last night right yeah last yeah. night Where I, was were you, in, santa barbara? I was in santa barbara and playing and somebody yelled out play heart of stone i was like i i don't know how to play that i haven't played that in 10 years probably Is there a reason you hadn't played it was there not like, particularly okay. i mean it's a little more of a band song but um you just get into a groove of playing your favorite songs and some of them just fall by the wayside and so i i'd and you have so many songs it's yeah hard, it's hard I, for I mean, you to like there's hundreds so it's like i i don't know I, that doesn't get requested all the time either so I was like, sure, that's it. I'll, I'll try to play it for you. And I'm like, this right. could be bad, but who cares? No big deal. It's just like a small crowd and I can mess around with them. So I start singing and I'm halfway through the first verse. I'm like, I don't even know the second line of the song. I'm not, I have no idea what it is. So I start singing. I don't know what the words are. Like just kind of singing it in the melody. And they caught on right away and they're laughing. And then I went into the chorus. And then the whole second verse was just like a total made up verse about forgetting the words and driving into Santa Barbara on the Chumash Highway and all this stuff. And then even the um, the bridge was like, uh, if I knew how, this could be over. It's like, I'm, re- I'm ready to, that's the actual words of right. the song. But it's like, I can't wait to get through with this because I've, I'm just making this up and it's really uncomfortable. But they, they loved it. It was just like this spontaneous thing. And I think to them, it was surprising that the somebody could just kind of Put the words together and have right. it make sense in that way. They thought that was really, really cool, and I thought, man, I, I should do this like every show, <laughs> you know, like purposely <laughs> sing something that I don't know and make yeah. up new words, and uh, it was fun. I think what, they, they enjoyed yeah. it because they they didn't. Well, because you showed some vulnerability there for sure, and that that resonated with them. But also, it wasn't perfect. They weren't expecting it to be perfect. In fact, you 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 lower the bar in a way when you you let them know. I don't know the words. They don't want it to be perfect. They want it to be enjoyable. Yeah, and That's, and it's so much better when it's enjoyable. I mean, I think there there are some masterfully shot films that are boring as hell mm-hmm. that I don't want to watch mm-hmm. because. That they just don't resonate with these sort of art house films that where they don't they challenge you too much and the payoff isn't great enough. Whereas with with music, there was especially in a live music, there was a payoff there mm-hmm. that I don't think they, they couldn't have gotten if it wasn't live. Also, yeah. what I love about that story is like you know you could have just stopped and been like sorry guys, and then like got off a stage and been like man I really screwed that up. But instead like you just rolled with the punches, man, and sung your heart out and. Even though they were just you know silly words, man, it's like that's that's what the, that's what any uh, fan wants from an artist. They just want to see you pour your heart out. That might be another in, important note about perfectionism is that as an artist, if you're doing that, you can't you can't go do those things if you're taking yourself too seriously and maintaining a sense of humor and a sense of um, just humility and whatever on stage has been so important for creativity and connecting with the audience because if I'm taking myself too seriously then I care too much about how they view me but if I'm if I think that it's funny and I don't have to be taken as this like ultra cool guy I can just be like dorky griffin it's so freeing you know Mm -hmm. I don't have to be perfect I just have to be genuine and there and be giving of myself and that opens up a whole world of fun for everybody I I think yeah it's 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 more important to care about how you feel about what you're doing Mm -hmm. than it is to care about how everyone else feels about it because of course yeah if you set out to please everyone then no one's going to be pleased but if you're pleasing yourself that doesn't sound right he's pleasing himself on stage (laughs) wait a second got griffin Griffin ck over here All right, next question is from Anna in New York City. She said, how do I help my partner overcome his insecurities? Mm. I mean, I, when this, this, is, this resonates with me because we all have insecurities, but it's really easy to see other people's insecurities. Yeah. Well, First, is your partner asking for help, Anna? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's probably the yeah. first question you should ask yourself. Right, yeah, because you, you can't, <laughs> if a person wants to drown, you can't save their life. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that, yeah, if, so if the person's asking for help, then a few things. One is 
talk to them about their insecurities so you can better understand those insecurities. Uh, I was just talking to a therapist yesterday about uh, about depression, and and the thing that we were talking about is. Uh, the thing that, that I get worried about, because I've had all these stomach issues and you know, 90% of your serotonin is developed and up to 90% is developed in your gut. And so I've had some issues with depression for the first time in my life as I'm dealing with the whole SIBO thing. And uh, as I work through it, I, I'm able to intellectualize it and sort of separate myself from that situation. And and uh, the t- I talked to the therapist. Like one of the hardest things for me right now is Bex, my wife. She She is so understanding and so kind and so there for me and so helpful that I feel like I'm battering her with my apologies. Like, hey, I'm not my best self right now. I'm really sorry. And he helped me understand that like, okay, first off, you have to stop, you have to stop apologizing. Uh, you want to have one apology conversation. Like, hey, let's sit down. I, I'm, let me talk to you. Like, um, I know you want to help me. I'm giving you permission to help me. I'm giving up some of my own autonomy here so you can help me. And that's, that's really important. And, and I think you both need to do that in a f- functioning relationship in order for it to thrive. Because there are going to be times where it is Anna's securities mm-hmm. that are really shining through, her insecurities that are shining through. And she's going to need her partner's help um, to, to grow through those insecurities. And so for me, it starts with the understanding of those person's insecurities and, uh, and then being supportive where you can. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I would tell Anna is like, you just, you got to be supportive whenever you can. That doesn't mean like you constantly are telling your partner, this is how you overcome your insecurities because like that's not going to work, but you can find opportunities where you can see that they're feeling insecure and maybe you can like prop them up a little bit and help them uh, not feel so bad. I mean, I've got friends, uh, Mariah's got, I got insecurities and it's like the way I get over them is, uh, it's just, it's being around good people and, and, and good people to me are supportive people. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things when, when, when it comes to help, you need to create the space that he can ask for help as well, as opposed to dragging him to your definition of success or your definition of security. Because here's the other thing. Maybe the things you think he's insecure about, he's not actually that insecure about at all. Um, Do you deal with insecurities in your relationships, Griffin, especially as a parent? Yes. By the way, you have the two most amazing kids ever. <laughs> they're pretty awesome. They, 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 they're like the least insecure kids I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're definitely doing many things right with respect uh, to parenting. Yeah, I guess discipline's the hardest thing. So I get insecure about, um, I see particularly my younger daughter, Clara, who's sort of a loose cannon, is, uh, you know, she, she pushes the envelope all the time. And then I go, how hard do I lean in here and discipline this this child to try to teach them right from wrong how much do i just let them be who they are sometimes she's done something you know i've asked for something six times and she's still not listening and it's like do is this the appropriate time now to scare her (laughs) they're like what am i supposed to do you know it's just so yeah i get insecure and and doubt myself about my own parenting skills because i think am i just doing how i was parented how i was taught do i really know what's right to do here or am i just so i don't know you use your intuition and try to do the best that you can but yeah i i'm that's a big area where i'm constantly going i don't know if i'm doing this right (laughs) and maybe it's the it's like that's like the psychopath test you Mm. you know about this like no a a person who who's wondering i can tell you that you're a psychopath josh (laughs) (laughs) the the person who's wondering whether or not they're a psychopath (laughs) is not a psychopath because right a psychopath would never ask, would never be concerned with such things, right? <laughs> right. And I think the same is true with parenting. Mm. If you didn't think, am I a bad parent? Yeah. I think only good parents actually think that. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, and I think the other thing you're highlighting there is there isn't a steadfast rule. We're like, well, on the seventh time, then I'm going to spank her. On the eighth <laughs> time, she gets a timeout or whatever. Like, yeah. there, there aren't steadfast rules there. It is a lot of it is in intuition but it's not intuitive at the same time it's mm. it's finding it's finding the appropriate space and i think as a parent you know, it's also uh, one of the hardest things for me is a job as a parent is to enjoy your kids like to enjoy kids is really hard for me because i'm like why don't you just grow the hell up why <laughs> we can't even have a normal conversation with each other <laughs> she's like i'm fine um yeah and, and so 
Uh, but enjoying them makes it more enjoyable forever. I, I remember last time we were at your house in, in Nashville and your kids were hanging on me like I was a child magnet. <laughs> and uh, he sent me this picture afterward. Like we, eventually, like we were all just tired. We were all like in one chair together, yeah. huddled up, like watching like uh, Little Big Awesome or something. <laughs> and um, as we as we were doing that, like the whole day, like. I was having fun with them, and I think because I was enjoying them, they enjoyed the experience with me. If I didn't enjoy it, I, then they would have been like, what, what, what? intuitively, they would have said, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. That's good That's good advice, Brandon, too. En- enjoy your partner. That'll help them be less secure, for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Less insecure. Less insecure. That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Thank you. Anna, we've been giving you advice to make you- <laughs> Oh, wait. She wants to know how to make them less insecure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right we're gonna have to start over all right here we go uh, max in north carolina <laughs> says when does security become a myth and how do i overcome insecurity well we talked about insecurity a little bit yourself uh when does security become a myth i, I think often we hear we hear this term job security as though that means something uh, I think of job security generally as job insecurity. And I think you can relate to this with respect to you've had record deals before. And, and especially in the days like pre-internet or while CDs were still the predominant way to sell uh, your music, uh, your record company could drop you. And then well, I guess I'm done making music yeah. now because now I don't have an outlet through which I, I can create. That was not job secure. We thought of it that way, though. As an artist, I'm sure when you first set out to start making music, uh, make a living from music, there was a point where like, okay, I need some job security. You may, you may not use those terms necessarily, but I, I need to feel, I need to have this in order to feel secure. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I can think about is sometimes losing what you perceive as your power or your security can be the most empowering thing that can happen to you, although be it scary at, at the beginning. I mean, I I had a management deal and a record deal that's after seven years kind of dissolved and I walked away from that relationship and then thereby lost some other relationships that I have with like a booking agent. And all of a sudden I w- had all this support system in the music industry and was with these two huge companies and then I was just by myself. And I went, oh man, this is... I don't even think I let myself feel how scary it was. I just kind of got on with my business. But when I look back, I realize, okay, now I'm all alone and doing this by myself. And it's it's turned out, though, for me realizing, oh, I guess I have to take charge of my own ship here and be mm-hmm. responsible for myself. And ultimately, that ended up being really empowering because I, I didn't know how much power I, I had, I mm-hmm. guess, up until that point. I thought everybody else these puppeteers up here that were making everything happen and I kept thinking to myself why don't they pull some strings and make some stuff happen for me and it wasn't that they they could and they they weren't it was that they they didn't know what to do either and it turned out that I was a little bit more of the master of my own destiny than I thought I was so it was empowering for me to lose that yeah so sometimes when you actually yeah what I'm hearing you say is like sometimes you get these insecurities but there, there is some empowering things that can come from these insecurities. Sure. I try to think about the things I'm really insecure about, man. And I'm like, I think my biggest one is I lay in bed at night and I go over all the conversation. Like later tonight, I will go over this podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll go over every single word that I said or that I can remember. And often, like way 95% of the time, often, I will tell myself like, oh, dude, you're such an idiot, man. Like, why did you say that? And, you know, Griffin, he, you know, he was looking at you like, like, yeah, why were you saying that, Ryan? Like, and, and it's funny because what I, what I eventually will tell myself is I'm like, wait a minute. First off, uh, yeah, I'm not the most articulate person in the world. I don't have all the best words. <laughs> Josh has all the best words. But, but you know, it's both, both things are true, meaning uh, I could look at one little part of what I'm saying and say, oh man, I really could have articulated that better. And Josh and Griffin and everyone in the studio noticed. Or I could also look at it and be like, man, that was a really good conversation. And like, it was really nice to talk to Griffin and it was it was good to open up. So this is kind of my way of saying, you, know, you really do kind of get to create your own reality when it comes to your insecurity. So which ones are false? I mean... They're all they're all false technically, yeah. especially like the more well known we get, the more well known you get. I, I can't quote the Jay Z's line directly, but he says something about how you know you get crucified when you get famous, and the more people that like you, well, the more people hate you also. Right. And yeah. It, I, I remember uh, uh, whatever you think about Glenn Beck doesn't matter, but there was a time where I think it was Time Magazine named him 
the like seventh most influential person. I think it was like 2007 in America, mm-hmm. and the third most hated person <laughs> in America. <laughs> and, and it was like it's. And I think that's that's an extreme version of it. And, sure. po- and politics and religion will, in which he dabbles in both, will do that for you. But we're all living less extreme versions of that. Even if you're a high school teacher somewhere. There are kids that like you and kids that hate you. And and we, I think we all have to deal with that. And I think what Griffin uh, is talking about here with when you put your fate, in, uh, of the fate of your life or your career into someone else's hands, man, that is a recipe for insecurity because yeah. that is not secure. The most secure thing you can do is take back control of, of your relationships, of whether they're business or personal relationships, of your creativity, of your creations. You can take back control of that and actually build a foundation of insecurity. It's not going to be the easiest thing in the world. Like you said, it requires a whole lot more responsibility on, on your part. But it's also, uh, conversely, it's, it's more rewarding, I feel like, as well. If, if Ryan and I hadn't done all this on our own and you know, someone else had done it for us, I don't think it would be nearly as, as rewarding for us right now. Totally agree. Yeah, it, I mean, Griffey, think about it. If, uh, uh, who who feels more creatively fulfilled? Is it Griffin House or Millie Vanilli? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Right? Uh, That's so true, man. Or Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, Millie Vanilli, they got... Well, they don't have the Grammy anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> But they yeah, did. that's actually a good. Anytime you get upset about not winning a Grammy, just remember that Millie Vanilli won a Grammy. Right. <laughs> that's so true. true. Yeah. No. It's it's. I look at um. Still like those songs. Yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> but but you know it it's it's absolutely true. I look at some artists and yeah they won Grammys but but dude like you're you got heart man and that's I mean that's what I look for and I I know if I'm looking for it other people are looking for it too. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you need an award, then we'll type one up for you or something. <laughs> that Dude, would mean we... a lot. <laughs> <laughs> should we move on to... Yeah, Sara E. from All Miami right. says, how can I set higher stand- standards for future relationships when I lack any personal references for such standards? Now, uh, Sara E., she she called in and left a voicemail. It was a long one, so I just uh, attenuated it here with uh, into text. And the, the, the thing she was talking about in her voicemail is she doesn't feel like she has a good standard for a significant other in in her life. Although she has a friend who just broke up with a really good relationship in her own life. And in doing... So maybe this this would resonate. So Ryan, if uh, you had not had a a strong relationship, like intimate relationship Mm -hmm. in your life, but me as your best friend, I I just broke up with my significant other. And um, in doing that... I said, wow, I learned a whole lot from this. And now I have a new standard mm. upon which I can build future relationships. So, so I'm looking at you like, oh, man, he's got a standard. I need to have a standard. How do I develop that standard yeah. if I don't have the experience? Well, a few things for me is like one is go have the experiences, yeah. right? Go have a crappy relationship. See what it's like. But, uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I wouldn't seek out. I wouldn't seek out a crappy I know, relationship. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but but be open to having a crappy relationship. Absolutely. I guess. Yeah. And, 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 and also understand like what... What do you want a relationship? You don't. You're not going to know everything you want out of a partner. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things you want in a partner? And then also, what are some non-negotiables? I think it's important to set up, you know, right off the top. I like, like that, man. Uh, well, here, here are the things I know that I, I can't deal with in a partner. That's a great place to start. Find your non-negotiables, and then go out and find a partner. Yeah. And then you'll start to learn other things that are important in relationships. But I'll tell you, man, I've had three four like serious relationships and what i mean by that is like we lived together or we were together for you know two or three years and if it wasn't for all these failed relationships on my part by the way like i was not a very good partner but it took all of that failing to get to the point now where like mariah and i i mean we are an awesome match like i've never been happier um here's the thing too though is like when i look at what Mariah needs out of a relationship. I give her about 95%, 98%. I'm not, it's not perfect. Like I always joke around, like she's going to find someone better eventually. And that gives her everything that she wants. But it's like accepting that fact too, that, Hey, I'm never going to have a perfect partner and I'm never going to give someone that perfect partner. Like the only, the best thing that we can do is, uh, is work on the relationship together and the give and take, which is like such a cliche thing, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah. And it's like, it, you know, if you are giving to that us box, sometimes you will take from that us box and that's what creates a good relationship for me. But uh, but the non-negotiables is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I did the opposite once and it really 
messed me up. When you're talking about with, with Mariah, you're like, I give, you know, 95 or 98 percent and she's going to find someone that gives her the 99 percent or 100 mm-hmm. percent. Right. Yeah. Um, with remember with Colleen, like it was up until my relationship with Bex, uh, which is the best relationship I've ever had by far. But up until that, uh, Colleen was at, at one point the, the best relationship I ever had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote about it and everything that remains. In fact, uh, Sean, can you send Sara E a copy of everything that remains? Because there's a whole chapter about about this in, in that book, about this particular relationship. So Griffin, I, I, was, uh, I was in this relationship and I'm like, man, I am a, I know I'm a really good partner, right? Like I'm, <laughs> I am awesome. <laughs> and, and you know what? Do you know how lucky you are to have me as a partner? <laughs> I, I genuinely felt that way. And, uh, and the thing is like, I look back now and I'm like, that is disgusting. Yeah. Um, but, but at the time I was like, okay, yeah, I'm giving, giving you 95%, but like, mm-hmm. Who else is going to give you 95%? Right, you ain't going to find 96%. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even need to give 95%. What am I doing here? <laughs> oh, no. Just give 90%. That's better than anyone can give. And oh. guess what? She found someone else who was going to give more than <laughs> the 90 or 80% I ended up giving, right? Yeah. And and that's okay. I learned from it. And I think that's the most important thing from all this. Yeah, if you start with what are your... What are your non-negotiables? What do you what do you want a relationship to look like loosely? And then you can get closer, especially if you know what your values are. It's important. Go back and listen to episode 69 of our regular podcast. It's an uh, episode about values. Know what your values are because you probably want someone in your life with similar values. Yeah. Now, Griff, you've been married for a decade, huh? Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah. So, so going through this relationship, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it hasn't been hasn't been perfect but it has also been set by previous failures in, sure. in your in your life i immediately went for some reason to kind of the non-negotiables and i remember i was in a pretty long-term relationship in college and i was having a, a problem with this relationship because um <clears throat> the girl i was dating would not stop hanging out or talking to their ex-boyfriend it used to just drive me crazy i'd come mm-hmm. over and he'd be like hang hanging out and i'd just be i'd be so upset but i thought that if i told her not to that i was being controlling or something so i tried to be ultra cool about everything and uh but it dro- would drive me crazy mm. and eventually i was on the phone with my dad one time and he just goes this is bullshit like you don't <laughs> have to put up with this like put your freaking i was like man that didn't even occur to like i guess I could really just say no, you know, and immediately I did and the whole dynamic changed, but it was really that relationship that let me know how important loyalty was to me as Mm -hmm. as in a relationship. And um, I mean, so so far for our nine or 10 years of marriage, I think I really, that was a value that I saw in my wife that really made it easy to marry her because she's the most devoted, loyal person I've pretty much ever met in my life. So that's a really is, nice feeling. That's yeah. awesome. no, knowing your wife a little bit, my guess is it's also not blind loyalty. Like whatever yeah. you do is right. and no. not, it, Because that <laughs> often we think of loyalty as like, well, you're going to respect what I do no matter what. Right. That's not real loyalty. Right. Real loyalty is being able to say to your closest friend, hey, man, I don't think that's right what mm-hmm. you're doing right now. Um, and, and the same thing is, is true with respect to your... Um, uh, former girlfriend where she was hanging out with her boyfriend there's nothing inherently wrong with that what you're saying is this is something that is a non-negotiable for me right. um, there could be other people where it's like hey this yeah, let's be friends all three of us or whatever but right. a- and understanding what you're not willing to to move on helps you move better on the other things that you're willing to to sort of give up some space on I think yeah the last piece of advice I will give uh, Sarahi Am I saying that right? Sarai. Sarai is there. We live in the 21st century. There's some amazing algorithms out there where you can fill out what your negotiables and non negotiables mm-hmm. are. Uh, I mean, I met Mariah on OKCupid and we were like a 92 or like a 94% match or something. And it turns out, like, out of all the people that I had went on dates with, her and I definitely meshed well together. And the reason why I even went on OKCupid. Was because I had a friend who I really, really respected who does not need to go on dating sites. Like he's a very handsome. I'm talking about Colin Wright. Mm-hmm. You know, you know who I'm talking about, Melbourne. <laughs> he's just like, uh, you know, very, very easily could go out and pick up women. But he was explaining to me like he liked OK Cupid because it has this algorithm on there that really does do a good job of matching. And I know that sounds silly to like date online. It's like if you were to tell me I was going to meet the love of my life 
you know, online, if you told me that in like 2000, I'd have been like, oh shit, like how desperate am I going to get? Like that's, that's crazy. I'm never going to meet someone online. And now most people I know who are getting married met online. Yeah. Did you meet your wife online? No. No. You have to know what your values yeah. are to begin with, you know? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes. it's a good point. I, I, I probably maybe shouldn't admit this, but you know, you grow up watching movies and stuff and you just think I'm going to marry a really, really pretty girl one day. And it's just sort of like that can be the top of the list and you don't no one teaches taught me as a kid to go why don't you pick up some pick out some character assets list them on a page and like see what you what type of person you actually want to spend your life with i didn't even really do that until after i was already married luckily i married somebody with some good ones but yeah i guess you have to kind of know what you what you're looking for in the first place right yeah absolutely yeah if you don't you're not going to find it yeah all right, uh, I'm going to get back to some of these insecurity questions. We've <laughs> got a little time left. Here. Yorker, all right, read them off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why did your mentor unfollow you on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I have had... Oh, that's so funny. Sean, do you follow me on Twitter yet? <laughs> we, we were talking about this with... Uh, with Who was it? Uh, Cal Newport the other day. Cal Newport yeah. wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. And... Um, uh, it, it's funny, like if we gauge our, because there's so many times like I'll see, um, it's the craziest things. Like like people will repost a photo of you know, Gary V liked my tweet or whatever, and yeah. it's like that. It's the significance thing that we we're all talking about. Yeah. We all want to be significant. In one way, is a Grammy, but this person's equivalent to the Grammy is oh Ryan Nicodemus liked my tweet. I'm gonna <laughs> the day Ryan Nicodemus liked my tweet. So everyone feels about. <laughs> when i when i like their tweets uh-huh. <laughs> unfollow him immediately people yes please do dude it's funny i it made me think of i had a um mentee one time they signed me up for their email list like that's one of the worst moves you can ever do with me is like just sign me up for an email list and start blasting me all your automated emails because i just like instantly unsubscribe but then they sent me they forwarded me the unsubscribe and they're like oh this is like my feelings are so hurt like my mentor <laughs> unsubscribe from my emails i'm like it has nothing to do with you. It's I don't want my inbox full, but uh, I just felt so bad. It almost made me feel like, oh, I need to resubscribe to the emails. But anyway, what, what, more questions, Josh. What else we got? Oh, we got a few more. Uh, will you ever be as happy as you were in your late 20s? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm like, I'm the happiest I've ever been, like today. And I, ex- great, I expect that, uh, you know, next year it's just going to... Well, I don't expect, but I mean with the way that I'm living my life, I don't have the standards you've created. Yeah. I don't have an expectation for like, Oh, by year 40, we've, we've got to be on the New York times bestseller and, or we've got to have that third Netflix special or whatever it is. It's uh, when you start setting those standards, that's when you really let yourself down. Yeah, I think so. And Griffin, I don't know if you run across this at all, but, but we, we start to give ourselves these self imposed expectations with what we create where this next thing has to be better and we don't define better. Uh, we just say it has to be better than the last thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we don't define better, then we'll always find something that isn't better about this new thing, even if it sells better or it sounds better or you know, whatever. Pe- it, it resonates with uh, people on social media better. Like, we, how, how are we defining better? And then why is that a, a better for me? Are, do you find that with this new album, with, with Natural Man? Yeah, I, I want it to be... I want it to be some sort of a tipping point where I go, uh, and even with this this movie that we're working on in conjunction with the record, it's. Do you like, have a name for the movie is, yet? N- no, we don't. We don't have a name yet. Winning but it's, it's, by Griffin it's, House. <laughs> it's Hashtag winning by Griffin House soon. So, I don't. I'm I'm thinking about all this as we're talking about it, and I I realize how much thinking about all these things has really changed how I think about success for sure, because I don't necessarily necessarily have those same marks anymore. I don't, the, the bar has, is almost like non-existent, you know, it's more like I value feeling good in my body. Like I, I want my body to feel good. I want to feel healthy. I want to be doing things that I know are good for me for the long term. I want to have good friendships. I want my marriage to be good. I love still playing music for people, mm. but I don't go around and and, th- and think as much anymore. And I think that's that's growth after contemplating these kind of things for a really long time. Mm. I don't go like, oh, I want this goal and I need to hit that or I'm not going to be happy. It's like, I'm, I want to find a way to be happy right now. 
And that'll give me a better chance of getting where I want to go anyway. It's like find, find the peace now and then the rest will follow, not get what I want, and then I'll figure out how to be healthy. Yeah. Think, Which is how I used to do it. Yeah. I think discontent <laughs> is often birthed out of a series of metrics. Like I, and everything you just said can't be me- measured with metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's like, I have to sell one million albums in order to be a platinum selling artist. And, and, or, I mean, I think about us, Ryan, like we might go back to Boston mm-hmm. a year or two from now and, you know, not sell out a 1200 person theater, we sell, be in a smaller sell, venue. sell out a 200 <laughs> person theater yeah. for, or, or, and you know what? That's totally That's cool. fine. You have, you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing that we've ever done might end up being the documentary that we did, uh, Minimalism. And and if so, that's great. That means it reached a lot of people. Yeah. If not, great. That means something else will reach a lot of people. And, and even if it doesn't reach a lot of people, some of the most meaningful things I've done are rarely the most popular mm-hmm. things that I've done. I mean, I, I doubt that your, your most popular songs are your favorite songs that you've written necessarily. Well, always. Yeah. yeah and, sure. and, and I think that you, and there'll be other times where you, where you write a song, I'm guessing, and you're like, this is the one. This is going to be a hit. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's <laughs> cricket, cricket, yeah. cricket. All and, the time. Yeah. And, and I think we have to get comfortable with that because I think there's this time around we were doing uh, this was 2014 we did a, a month-long tour in the UK uh, we had 12 cities UK and Ireland mm-hmm. and that was fun there was a, a city uh, in the north of England Birmingham? Uh, no northeast northwest north east oh yeah I remember well anyway new uh, Southampton no that, <laughs> wait a minute that's, <laughs> That's not New York. <laughs> no. I, I start, anyway. Yeah, anyway, um, <coughs> we, 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 did this, we did this bookstore, and it was a decent-sized crowd for, for a, a relatively small bookstore. Oh, that had to be... I know what you're talking about. I think that was Belfast. Or, yeah, it was Belfast. Was no, it wasn't. Oh. I'm positive. All right. Um, this is England. It was close to the university. I can, if you give me a moment, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, anyway, there, we were there, and we were, we were giving this talk. And people... Ryan gave a talk, and I gave a reading, and it was... I swear he was our best performance I wish of the we entire tour. It. Here, while you look it up, I'll finish telling the story. Okay, go for it. So, like, I'm up there, and I've given this talk at this point, like, over, well over 100 times. And it's one of those things where repeating it over and over, I don't know how if you get this way with your songs, but it's like, it's like, man, you know, the, the sentiment is there. And, like, I'm acting like I'm playing the guitar. I was not playing the guitar <laughs> in front of people. Um, but, uh, you know, the sentiment is there in the talk I was giving, but it's hard for me sometimes to, like, feel it coming through because sometimes I just feel like I'm a robot up there and like just, you know, going over the lines. Right. And this particular talk, man, I was nailing it. Like it was, it was Newcastle, by the way, it was Newcastle. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. So, so like we, I was up there and I'm like, man, I am, I am killing this talk. Like this is the best I have thought about this talk in a while. Man, I was back there listening to him. Like he is just nailing it. I don't know how I'm going to, cause what, the way that tour worked, we did a hundred city book tour with everything that remains. And he would get up and give this this talk, and I would read from the book, and like it was like dueling each night. Like, how, am I going to do better tonight? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like everyone in the crowd, man, they were stoic, oh. like just like uncom- Like I'd you know I would deliver a, you know a line punchline, and then you'd see someone like kind of almost smile, but right. then like they quickly like just right back to their stoic self. And mm-hmm. I was and and really got to a point where I was like. I don't know what your guys' problem is, <laughs> but this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think I, to me, those are more meaningful than when I have, I have a, if I have a terrible show or it just doesn't work out and I'm like, Oh, like it does not go well. Someone comes up afterward and they're like, Hey, that was the best thing I've ever seen. And you're like, really? Right. <laughs> I still feel bad about it because like I, it's whatever standard I've set for myself. I don't know if you you notice that in shows, um, Absolutely. And, and when when you're when you're performing for people, um, sometimes it, the crowd you definitely feed off the crowd. There's no question about that. But sometimes it's incongruent. You're doing so well that it's like you're performing in front of no one at all. Our perception can be totally be off too. That's the other thing that yeah. I've learned. Sometimes I think I'm killing it, and then I, I might not be. And other times I think I'm not doing that great, and it's just absolutely fine. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know. That that goes for recording and thinking I just had a really great take. And it's like, no, that one that 
you did before when you weren't thinking that you thought there were five mistakes in there it was better actually so yeah I don't it, know. it ended up like when we we did the hug line after this event and people were coming up they were like that was the best talk i've ever seen like yeah, it's not the right feedback yeah right? just like yeah like the, it wasn't the right live feedback but in that hug line i think maybe just because There's in england cultural thing yeah they're, they're a little bit england. more stoic in in yeah. england yeah all right, what else we have here? We have some more insecurity questions. What does your dentist tell you that you should worry about? <laughs> uh, is there any way to reconcile your ambition and independence with your expectations regarding romance and family? Um, <sighs> I love how these are satirical, but these are question <laughs> insecure questions, yeah, that we the, totally go over. I, we, we, we ask these questions all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, I, I, I want to be independent but i also want to have a family <laughs> and the thing we we're talking about to andrew schultz about like so you can do both it is and it isn't like mm-hmm. you can live an independent life that also is entangled with other people it's complected as as uh derek sivers would say you know the the origin of the word complex is to complect it means like mm. to string two things together a rope is complected mm. but i think the key then is to like not over complect it you mm. need enough complexion there to build the rope otherwise you have a weak string that breaks right. and if you're if you're just by yourself in this world throughout the rest of your life it's it's a weak tie and it's probably going to break yeah. let's see if we got a couple more here before we wrap up of all your friends which ones will you still be close with in 10 years <laughs> <laughs> How many people have you offended this month? Oh, I don't. <laughs> oh my god! I, I can't. Uh, thousands, hundreds of yeah, thousands. I don't maybe. even read YouTube comments anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Jess takes care of all that. <laughs> yeah, thank you to our Patreon supporters who who leave constructive. Yeah, you guys are feedback. awesome. Yes, yeah. th- that is the one community I will go and look at. Yeah, because <laughs> even when we disagree with them, they do so in a respectful way. And right. Like, hey, I really. What do you think about this approach? I'm like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and it's okay. I to, was wrong. It's okay to disagree. Like, it's totally cool to to have a conversation. It's it's the it is it's the criticism versus the the feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, what is the name of the college you wish you'd gone to? <laughs> <laughs> was it Ohio University? Were you, <laughs> were you happy that uh, I was? I was okay. That that came later when I realized. I wanted to be feel smarter than I was. Ah, <laughs> isn't that interesting? Like I need this. That's that's the same thing as the Grammys. You know, Harvard is the uh, educational equivalent of the right. Grammys, right? That's yeah. um, not, not to say uh, you may get a slightly better education at a place like Harvard. Um, but maybe you may get a slightly better education at U- University of Miami Middletown branch campus as well because you you learn other things about life. I took some classes there and. Um, uh, the thing I learned most out of that, which was most applicable for business, was like as long as I got in good with the professors, I got an A, even if I did like C minus level work. <laughs> and that is so true in the business world. Yeah. There was one professor. Um, uh, he was a history professor of mine. His van broke down. And I gave him a ride home one day, and from then on out, he was like, "You don't, need, have, you don't, need, yeah, you don't have to show up." Dude, Selcheck. <laughs> he, he asked us at the end of the semester. He was like. Uh, I want you to write down the grade you think you deserve. And uh, yeah, long story short, like I just wrote down because he, t- oh, he also tells you what the grade you have. And Talk then he's about like, an insecurity question. Yeah. He's like, he's like, here's a grade you have and tell me what the grade you think you deserve. And he gave me like a B and I was like, dude, I at least need to get like an A minus. And I just wrote a few paragraphs like why. And he told me, I was like, all right. And I switched it to an A minus. Yeah. He's a good teacher. Yeah. Uh, let's see a couple more here. Um, name 10 hobbies that you have given up. <laughs> <laughs> 10 or 20 <laughs> uh, name 10 people who took advantage of you oh. that's one way to feel insecure is to only think about these negative things like yeah. like uh, who has taken advantage of me recently maybe maybe another way to, to, to change that is who have I contributed to or who has contributed to me recently mm. that's going to make you feel significant if you feel like yeah. other, who has cared about me in the last 10 years that's a really you're good, gonna find someone it's a really good tip for helping people kind of come over get over these insecurities is reframe the question in a way that isn't so insecure find the silver lining in it yes does that make sense yeah yeah are those good words Re- reframe the question in a way that makes you feel more secure yeah yes indeed well griffin i want to thank you for, i want to acknowledge you for making you're something awesome, meaningful man. man thank you so much for awesome having me guys time.
Yeah, you, uh, you your uh, your new album is called Natural Man. I think at the end of this uh, podcast, Sean, if we can play them out with the title track from from that album, but. We just want to acknowledge you for doing something meaningful with your music, man. Uh, you are, you've already won, definitely in our eyes, but uh, you've created something meaningful that I've gotten immense value from. I know Ryan has gotten a lot of value from it too. Yeah. I think I've seen you live more than any other artist. Yeah, me too. Uh, really? Absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah. I drove to Athens, Ohio once to watch you you play a set, man. So oh, I don't yeah. even remember when that could be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Landon Pig? Oh, yeah. I remember. I, was oh, that was a, I played that show with him. That was... I don't know, oh five, oh six. I forgot about Landon Pig, man. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good one that too. Was, that was a long time ago, but yeah. you are doing something meaningful. I'm really grateful. All right, y'all, love people, use things. We will see you next time. And, and here is the title song from Griffin's new album, Natural Man. Thanks for the support, y'all. I got some personal business. I got a private affair. Late for my show, and I gotta go. And then I'm gonna meet you there. Meet you there. with pleasure makes me feel like a natural man natural man Makes me feel